Hello, and welcome to week nine of Star Trek Sundays. Today, we're going to be discussing Resistance is Futile, part one. I'm Victoria, and with me is my co-host, T. Star Trek Sundays is a passion project for T and me, through which we and our guest crew examine the philosophical themes presented in Star Trek every Sunday at 10 a.m. PST on Clubhouse. So today we'll take 20 to 25 minutes for each episode and movie that we had uh, been given as homework. Then take a look at what's coming up for Star Trek Sundays in the next couple of weeks, including watch parties. We'll talk about some other sci-fi rooms happening on Clubhouse today and throughout the week, and then continue the conversation after the 19-minute mark. We'll be bringing speakers up to the stage to discuss the shows after I put a few questions to T. But first, thank you, T, for curating a great selection for us to watch this past week. What inspired the topic and the episodes and movies you suggested as the watch list? Yeah, the Borg, right? Resistance is futile. Um, the It was one of those really amazing classic tropes from one of the most dangerous villains in all the Star Trek universe. If you say resistance is futile, you already know I'm talking about the Borg. So I thought it'd be fun to review some of the amazing themes and scenes from the Borg Collective. They were originally envisioned as an encroaching threat to the Federation, but they were moved back to the Delta Quadrant to allow them a more gradual development. They're planet-destroying, culture-assimilating cyborgs, and they're always quick to remind you that resistance is futile. So let's dive into the Borg and see what makes them such an iconic example of a great villain. Thank you, T. I really appreciate that. Yeah, this this was so much fun because I did go into this looking at the Borg, but then so much more came out of this. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to digging into the the villains as well as some of the other thoughts that um, came out of watching these shows. So let's start with the episode Q Who. Can you provide a summary of the episode to remind those who didn't get a chance to review it, what it was about? And then I'll I'll ask the questions I have for you. Yeah, definitely. Q Who, one of my one of my absolute favorite episodes, uh, because it was the introduction to the Borg, was from Star Trek: The Next Generation, season two, episode six. First aired on the 9th of May, nineteen eighty nine. So in this episode, Q throws the Enterprise into uncharted space, where it encounters and is engaged by a dangerous alien vessel by a previously unknown species, the Borg. When the vessel instantly and instantly and effortlessly overwhelms the Enterprise, uh, Picard realizes that the Federation may not be as ready for the future as he thought. So I chose this episode because it's the first introduction to the Borg, where Q really puts the fear of the collective into the crew of the Enterprise, and even makes Picard koto to his sadistic needs for validation as a superior being. Thank you. Your summaries are always so great. I really appreciate them. Um, you know, I don't want to uh, jump too far forward, but it, what was funny is um, you and I work on this show uh, together and separately, and we make uh, show notes. And I thought it was interesting that uh, we both put out the questions that we want to ask to each other and to the audience. And sometimes they're very different, but today we had put out the same question and it was yeah, with, without even realizing it, right? I yeah. wrote the question and went down and saw that you had already wrote, written the same exact question. And it was like, okay, 
I, sometimes sometimes we sync up so we don't always sync up but when we do it's eerie because like it was word for word the same question right yeah yeah i i was just i thought oh okay because i sometimes question myself am i on the right track because i'm skipping right to the end of this episode um but in the end scene between guinan and picard picard comments that perhaps q did the right thing for the wrong reasons to shake humanity out of its complacency for whatever lies ahead and um and so our questions to each other <laughs> was what reminds you not to accept complacency and um and that you know i wondered has there been a, a situation happen in your life that kicked you out of your complacency yeah definitely i mean i think that you know every time i see um injustice in the world this reminds me to not be complacent because the price of eternal of freedom is eternal vigilance it's one of those things that you have to constantly fight for. It's one of the things that, you know, when I shifted um, in my career to be, to focus more on my authoring, I very much wanted to send a message to the world, a message that would remind the world about the dangers of war, about the dangers of fighting, about the dangers of killing each other and, and death and suffering and, and how capitalism can, can bring about these things when left unchecked and we don't consider the humanitarian aspect of it. So when I see these things in my life and I see an opportunity to, you know, do something about it to, even if it's just writing fiction, because I, I do believe that fiction can change lives. I do believe that it can bring about important messages. I think this room is proof of that. So when I see those injustices, I feel compelled to not be complacent. I feel compelled to speak up, to write a message, to write a book, to to you know have that discussion to be involved in these in these rooms to um you know stop thinking about things the status quo as being status quo because it isn't and start thinking about how you can be or how in my case i can be the change that i really want to see in the world oh that's great that's great thank you for that i think this is a really interesting question and and uh well i want to talk about star trek we have a few people up on stage and and um so i'll invite ryan to uh give a share and ryan you can you can talk about the episode uh or tell me have you had a situation happen in your life that kicked you out of complacency yeah so um i guess i'll talk about a little bit of both um so the the you know q introducing picard and the enterprise to the the borg is is fascinating because it's for the most part q comes off as an impetuous child that's just that's just causing chaos but but in reality he's he's clearly trying to educate humans maybe not in a way that's conducive to how we like things but uh but still teaching us that the the our assumptions and our previous experiences are not maps for future experiences and and future interactions with other people or other collectives or groups or beings and that not everybody has um, intentions that we can quickly discern um, and from the borg's perspective 
assimilating other species is is doing them a favor. It's like the Cenobites from Hellraiser. If you're a demon from hell and torture feels good to you, you're trying to spread the good word, right? And it's 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 what makes the Borg such a great villain at that time um, because it was the unstoppable force that that Picard and the Enterprise and the rest of the crew were just not ready for. And Q knows this, right? And in a way, Q is the closest thing we have to a benevolent god in the Star Trek universe. Um, he's not benevolent. He's kind of a dick. And he does things mostly for his own amusement, but secondary for our education. Um, so I tend to agree with Picard that Q did us a favor. Um, and I also think that Picard never really understood Q. Um, and so he always sees Q as an adversary when in reality, Q is in love with humans. It's his favorite ants. It's his favorite bugs that he likes to look at. And so there, there is care, but the difference between Q and a human is so vastly different that it's us, you know, trying to talk about philosophy to a, a cat. Um, and in terms of, of my own complacency, uh, the things that I'm complacent about are incredibly overwhelming to me. And so I don't know how to, to break that complacency without very extreme acts, if that makes sense. Um, I don't know how we get from point A to point B peacefully without, um, well, anyway, I've said too much. Um, Ryan, I've landed. Thank you so much, Ryan. Um, I am just stuck on one of the sentences that you said when you said Q is in love with humans. Yes, yes. I just uh, want to give that a moment because it, it clearly is, it's an odd love, not not something I maybe wish for, but um, it's it's clear that there is this care and obsession with them that, that is like um almost like a child with a puppy or something. Um, so I really appreciate you saying that. I, I put that in my notes because I want to contemplate on that a little bit, a little bit and, more. And I think Go ahead. Interesting that the, uh, the episode opened with a very different note, right? It opened with Sonia spilling her hot chocolate on Picard on the engineering deck and Jordy proceeding to take full responsibility for her actions, which in the moment struck me. I said, oh my God, of course he's correct. Of course it's his fault. It's his engineering deck. He allowed his subordinate onto the engineering deck with their hot chocolate and it got on the captain as a result of his inattention to the work. But in the moment, it struck me that what he was doing was taking responsibility for something that, you know, he didn't cause directly. He caused it indirectly and he was taking that responsibility. So for, for, the, for the scene to sort of open in that way and sort of start with that message of, you know, it's important for us to take responsibility for our actions, even when they're not directly caused by us, even when they are indirectly caused by us and we are responsible for them, only to go then into sort of this like cat and mouse relationship 
they were all over the map with this and then sort of like wind it you know wrap it up with a kick in the complacency they were absolutely ahead of their times in terms of crafting a philosophical message and then weaving it into a sci-fi story well absolutely i saw it as bookending it because when it got to the end and i remembered the beginning i thought that the hot chocolate scene was the thing that kicked Jordy out of his complacency. And and I thought, you clever buggers. <laughs> so um, let's put that uh, question then um, to, well, well I want to welcome Sean and Kyle and Steve to the stage. So um, Sean, let's go to you. Have you had a situation happen in your life that kicked you out of some complacency? Um watching star trek as a kid <laughs> i don't know seeing um you know um, learning about martin luther king um learning about gandhi um learning about history learning about how humans have affected other humans in a negative way but seriously star trek did affect me and um i think also believe it or not uh retiring where I don't have the responsibilities of work anymore um, has made me realize there's far fewer days left than I have lived. And there's time to, there needs to be some things done uh, before the end. So that has kept, that has kicked me into away from some complacency that it's easy to get into. You know, we wake up, we go to work, we do the same things. We go out with friends, we do things that are fun. We do a vacation every year, on and on, over and over again. And pretty soon, wow, where did those last 10 or 20 years go, you know? Um, but what I've always found about Star Trek is it it gives us things to think about and decisions to make and moral think, you know, moral insights. And what I've been surprised with is I've met uh, Star Trek fans that don't seem to get it and it's just a show to them and they um, support you know things that I would consider rather fascist and illogical and unscientific but to me Star Trek just shows you know science logic and right and wrong are important things that as humans homo sapiens we need to consider every day every day and that's all i have to say thank you so much sean t did you want to respond i wasn't sure if you had no 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 i hadn't um but i mean just you are you're, you're right on sean and i always love your contribution so thank you thank you uh steve let's go to you <laughs> i'm i uh i was anticipating that you might have a good share for this because uh, I know that you're you're very reflective. So has there been a situation in your life that kicked you out of complacency or what reminds you to not accept complacency? It's interesting. So that question alone, um, I, from my experience, all I can think of is the the many times in which I've experienced depression. Um, and like from my depression, it can be seen as like a form of complacency. Like, why am I wallowing in my sadness when I could get up and do something about it? 
and and I often am always like trying, like uh, kicking myself, right? While I, I do have to deal with the psychological um, hardship of it all, uh, rather than being the type that you know shoves it down, so to speak, I uh, I've kicked myself out of that sort of complacent state by just going full throttle into um, accepting and expressing the emotion whether by, um, you know, karaoke, listening to some really, uh, sad music, um, or, or, um, you know, just really thinking the depressing thoughts to the point where I know I've spent enough time on it. I know I can get over it and, uh, you know, really challenging myself on any hopelessness that seems to be the case. Um, that gets me out of that complacent state of depression and, and really feeling like, okay, look, there is nothing left for me to do but move forward. And I can still move forward. So let's just do that. Yeah, I've certainly been there, Steve. I've been there a lot. Um, depression is something that I have personally struggled with in my life. Um, and usually and and especially in my in my later adult years it was seasonal right it was one of those things where december would roll around and things would get bad and then you know uh sometimes january february would come around and things would get better and then sometimes they wouldn't and it would be march but eventually you just have to find that reason to get interested in something to become involved with something to devote you know time and develop passion for something and that's that's all i know that eventually gets me out of it and that's not a that's not a, a silver bullet that's not like oh you've got depression you just no that's not how this works it's yeah. not it's not that simple it's a it's a it's a hormonal thing it's a it's a physical thing it's it's very much a a real struggle but i do remember you know being able to at least you know start to lift myself out of that and, and that was a tool that i used to help me so I, I don't want to give anybody the false impression that i'm like trying to diminish anything about depression depression's fucking rough it's just the way it is but um yeah i agree it, it, but that... it, it, it's one of those things where you can there are tools, right? And the more you embrace the tools, the better it can be. So, but uh, just to bring it on a bit of a lighter note, there, um, God, what a way to put it, Ryan. That Q is basically playing with two uh, cats that hate each other using a cat toy. Like, what a fucking dick. No, I don't think he really helped. I think he might have made it worse. Might have made it just the same as it was. But he let them get as much information and to be ready for us as. Or for for the federation, as the federation was was ready and knowledgeable about them. In fact, even more because the the federation didn't get samples and pieces right to to deal with, but they got eighteen people who's with their brains to fucking pick and learn about the federation. So no, fuck you, Q. You're a dick. I I I disagree. I think that that when when Picard opens that episode, right, he's full of um, federation platitudes. He says, oh, Q, of course, we'll rise to the occasion. We'll meet every challenge head on and with our sense of exploration and blah, 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 blah. And Q's like, are you fucking kidding me, dude? You, you really believe your own propaganda? 
Okay. Let me show you something that you're absolutely not ready for. And he does. And Picard goes, oh, fuck me. I'm not ready for this. The Federation is not ready for something that consumes culture the way, you know, I consumed sugar in junior high. Right? Like, so it's, it's, it's not a, a kind lesson, but it's still a very important lesson. Because uh, imagine that the Federation doesn't have that. And then a decade later, they encounter uh, the Borg, right? The Borg have faced other creatures like humans. They've assimilated other beings that kind of are like the Federation, right? So there's, there's, there's nothing that they saw in us that was much of a challenge to them at the time. The thing that makes us different, or at least the thing that we believe that makes us different, is our, our ability to imagine. And ultimately, that's what usually gets humans out of a scrap or uh, Federation members out of a scrap when facing a foe like that, being scrappy and, and being like, well, I'm just going to think of something totally weird. But no, no, Q totally did us a favor because otherwise we would have been assimilated a decade later. Excellent. Excellent. I like these different perspectives on things. Um, I, you know, I was right there with you, Steve, when you were saying that. And then I thought, oh, yeah, Ryan's right, too. <laughs> so uh, it's it's complex. Maybe a few things can happen at the same time, I guess. Um, I, I'm just going to uh, welcome Joanna to the stage. And Joanna, we're just going to move on to Star Trek First Contact. So T, can you uh, give us a summary of the movie Star Trek First Contact. And then I've got a couple of questions to put to you and our guests. Yeah. And, and Star Trek First Contact, in my mind, was, you know, really a shining gem. In there, there, there were definitely some ups and downs in the Star Trek movies, but First Contact, I thought, nailed it on every front. Uh, first released on the 18th, uh, I'm sorry, on the 8th of, excuse me, I'll get this straight, is the eighth of 13 Star Trek films. Uh, the second, the next generation film, release date of the 22nd of, no of November, 1996. So in this movie, six years have passed since Captain Jean-Luc Picard was captured and assimilated by the Borg. Now the Borg have made a second attempt to conquer the Federation and Starfleet believes that Picard's experience makes him an unstable element to a critical situation and orders him to stay behind. But when Starfleet's fight does not go well, Picard and the crew of the USS Enterprise disobey orders to join the fight, following the Borg 300 years into the past as Zephram Cochran prepares to launch humanity's first warp-capable engine, the Phoenix, and make contact with an alien race. Now, I chose this episode because it's a movie about the Borg. The Borg Queen really takes center stage in this one, having some very intimate scenes with Data and giving us some really giving him some unique gifts. The special effects were top-notch and the costuming was fantastic. It's just a treat example of the Borg Queen in action and I love it. So, that's why I picked it. 
Yeah, thank thank you so much uh, for this. This was the first time I saw this movie. I know, I know. <laughs> I, I have been a fan, and yet I never, I guess I got on with living life and, and other things when all this stuff was coming out. But um, I, I don't know what I've been doing with my life, to be honest. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. And, you know, it feels like these characters from the next generation are long-lost family members in some ways. After not watching these shows for decades, I found a new appreciation for them. And, and the subsequent series, as I told you earlier today, I can't wait to binge watch Picard over the winter. Anyway, I really like the humor in this movie. Um, despite the time travel stuff, I'm still I'm still trying to wrap my head around time travel. And uh, and once again, despite the title of our show today, uh, "Resistance is Futile," it does seem that resistance is not futile, at least not for the, this the crew of the Enterprise. Um, so a couple of things came up for me, um, and it, in some of these movies and even some of the episodes, it seems like there are two stories going on. So sometimes there are um, questions that I have that are a little unrelated. Uh, like I wanted to ask about warp uh, and 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 warp travel, but I really want to at this point want to focus on um, Data's emotion chip. And at one point when Data says, oh, Captain, I think I'm feeling anxiety. And the Captain says, Data, turn off your emotion ship. And he does. And oh, that's better. I, I thought, oh, God, I wish I had one of those. So if you were given the ability to turn your feelings on and off like Data does with the emotion chip, would you turn your feelings on and off? Um, would you turn them off and then care to turn them back on? Um, that That seems to... Uh, follow in what what you and and Steve were talking about with depression a little bit because uh, I've suffered a little bit of that myself and and it would be great if I could just turn off for a minute get some stuff done and and then move on so what about you would you like to have that sort of chip yeah and like I turn it on and off during movies I mean you know for the sad like when I like I turn it on for the sad parts but then once they got two sads, I turned them off for a little bit, then I turned it back on again. I mean, it would be like this really nuanced thing where I was sort of like walking around throughout my day, sort of going, nope, not going to feel that. Okay, going to feel that. Nope, not going to feel that. Okay, going to feel that, you know? I think it would be like, it would be like, you know, just me flipping on and off a light as I sort of walk through a room or a dark house. Does that make sense? It does, but just as you were talking, you know, I, I've been thinking about this question since I watched the movie. And, but just as you were thinking about that, I'm reminded of like some guided meditation that I do where they teach you to, to look at the feeling as a feeling and not necessarily dive into it. And sometimes I have to say to myself, oh, that's a thought or that's a feeling. And, um, and, and then, be able to just go that that's what's happening right now but be able to not let it control me and perhaps there is a a way that we do this anyway if if we're really in tune with ourselves um yeah i i i don't know but uh i i want to put it to the room and i i want to welcome the heretic and and lasha as well to the stage so um i don't know how long you guys have, have been here but i'd like to um ask steve to answer that question and then and then I'll, I'll call on others as we go through it. So Steve, if you had the ability to turn your feelings on and off like Data does with the emotional chip, 
would you do that? Um, okay, so great. let me tell you how much I've already thought about this. <laughs> um, I'm thinking more along the lines of I'd start with like a buffering mechanism or um, not, not saying that I'd limit myself to how strongly I could feel something, but have like a, a an up and down that's kind of like pushing the volume, but not strictly changing the volume. I would like push it down for a given amount of time and let it slowly back rise up to whatever it naturally is at um, when it causes me problems, right? When I'm like, okay, this is too much. Let's, let's push this down a little and just like, just go, poof, 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 you know, and let, let it slowly spring itself back up over time. Um, then at some other later point, I might uh, refine it to be more of a like perfectly buffered system to go, okay, there's no reason for me to experience this much pain ever. So when it reaches this threshold, cut it off. <laughs> that's, that's great. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I have thought about this a lot myself. Uh, so when, when this came on, and I know that it was just one little, very short scene, but it it stood out to me. It just jumped out at me like somebody had had taken a highlighter pen to it. So um, so uh, the heretic, welcome to Star Trek Sundays. Um, thank you for coming up on the stage. Um, did you want to contribute and tell us whether you would like to be able to turn on and off your feelings? Uh, yeah, in circumstances where I would spaz and lose control of, like, rational thought. Like, uh, for example, uh, like if my kid fell down and, and scratched or cut himself pretty good or something like that, and I needed to think quick, but, like, I was in panic mode, yeah, I'd, I'd shut that shit off for sure. I just think that's exactly the type of thing that I would do is, is when, when the panic hit, when the, when the irrationality was, was impending, when the, you know, when the, when I needed to think clearly and not emotionally, that was when I would, would, would shut it off. Right. And when I wanted to be in that moment, like, you know, feeling that, that movie, right. You know, that, that feels when the, when the, when the scene hits, right. I would have that shit turned up to full. But I think I think like you know Steve's response was was you know frankly amazing right the buffering and everything, but frankly I'm I'm with you heretic like those moments where you know your kid bites the dust, man that's the moment where it really counts right. Yeah, and for like things like music or like watching something entertaining, I'd probably crank that up. Like I'd be like, let's see if we can overclock this shit. Hell yeah. So it's not just the on-off chip. It, it we we really want to be able to to have sort of a volume a dial on this that goes to eleven when we want it to go to eleven. I I sometimes hit eleven and I and I don't even have that chip, but and I let it do that. Um, there's <laughs> I don't know if anybody here has seen the movie The Way We Were. It's an old movie. I've seen it dozens of times it used to be one of my absolute favorites and the end scene makes me ball my eyes out like a ball where I can't breathe and sometimes I'll watch just the last half hour of the movie because I know that it'll do that and I know I need that kind of release so in some way that's the movie that dials it up to 11 for me so Lasha what do you think if you were given the ability to turn your feelings on and off like data does, would you do it? 
Yeah, I would, but, and I don't know if I'd have a regulator, but I would like a reset button, something that allows me to like, as soon as I feel like I'm getting too much, it just resets down to like the lowest and then gradually works itself back up again, because I don't want to be that robotic where I'm, I'm the one that's going up and down, up and down, up and down with my emotional response. Um, so you feel like you're depriving your body of really doing what it's supposed to do at certain points, we just run through it. And as a mother, <laughs> I think I kind of lose my nutsack if I, um, if my daughter died. So, but I also know he, she says you would, yeah, I would. Um, <clears throat> but the thing about that is I have to get through that pain. Otherwise that pain is going to hit me whenever emotions come back. Wow. That's, um, that that is that's really good that's really smart i really appreciate you uh, your contribution there i i think that that's um really reflective thank you for that um i saw ryan you unmiked for a minute did you want to contribute something yeah I, I'm, I'm gonna bring in another franchise um so the doctor from from doctor who um constantly reminds people about how amazing these superpowers are that we call emotions. Um, and there's one episode in particular where they're about to go into a labyrinth that is potentially hiding several weeping angels. And uh, one of the people in the army is clearly acting scared. And, uh, and the doctor reminds him that it's, it's not just okay to be scared, but it's, 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 it, fear gives you power that you can harness, right? It'll make you react a little quicker. It'll make you, you know, make decisions faster. Like uh, if you can harness those feelings, they're powerful. And, and I think that would be my, the reason why I probably wouldn't get the emotion chip or the regulator. Um, I have felt very strong feelings in my life and some of them have knocked me on my ass for years where it took years to come out of it but it was still necessary um, because those feelings were attached to actions and events that I needed to deal with. All right, I've landed. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah, thank you. That's a, a really good perspective as well. Yeah, uh, it's all fantasy. I think sometimes we, we do... Uh, get through some of these emotions uh, and, and learn something and we're better at dealing with them later. So turning them off wouldn't, wouldn't let us have that opportunity to grow. Uh, Sean, you had unmiked as well. What would you like to say about this? Um, I was just going to say that this is my favorite Star Trek Next Generation movie of all of them. Uh, some of them I didn't think were that particularly great, but this one was great. And, um, um, Riker, uh, my mind went blank as to what his real name is. Jonathan Frank Frakes. Um, Jonathan Frakes. Yeah, directed this movie. I think he did a good job. I think there was um, you could tell that the actors were relaxed pretty much. Um, and there was just so many good points in this movie. I I unlike um, 
Victoria, I seldom watch movies over and over again. There's a few I have, like um, The Fifth Element and Galaxy Quest, where I can say I've watched them four or five, six times. Um, but I tend to not read books again. I don't do very many replays at all on Clubhouse, and I don't watch movies very often. Uh, again, unless it's like top five or ten. But um, this is one of the movies I've watched several times, and I really like it. Uh, as far as the chip, um, I think, like he was saying about the doctor, um, who especially likes humans um, and deals with their emotions on a regular basis, I think that we need to deal with our emotions. And so I think it might be bad to have such a chip where we could turn it on and off, because think of what people could do negatively if they were to just decide, well, I, I, I can't do this, I can't do, deal with this, you know, and if they just turn off their emotions, what what they might do. I, I suppose it could work the, the other way, where they look at things from a logical perspective without emotion, but um, it could also be a bad thing for some people that maybe can't deal with their emotions or have a issue where they cannot deal with their emotions and so by turning off their emotions they might do things that would not be good and i'm maybe looking at it in a negative viewpoint but i i'm just worried about that possibility so i think humans have to deal with these emotions um you know we have a dog that we're very close to and it's interesting i observe him as a member of the animal species as a mammal and um he doesn't have emotions that much, you know, emotions aren't the major factor where I see the trauma drama working with, I mean, he does have emotions, of course, but not like in a human, you know, manner where we're dealing with uh, jealousy and, and envy. And, uh, you know, like you, you, you come on clubhouse, you say the sky is blue and someone's got to immediately jump on and say, no, it's purple you know, and argue about things. And you know how humans are, if you look at human history, we're, we're taking a crash course in world history right now. And um, it's not good, you know. Um, so sometimes emotions are really not good, but I think humans have to deal with these emotions to for us to progress and to go forward and um, deal with them. So I know that's much easier said than done though. I agree. You know, Sean, I can think of two ways to take this. Um, the first way to take this is we live in a world, just imagine for one minute, where we really do have this technology. And then you encounter people who do things like regularly keep their emotions on. And then you also encounter people who regularly don't properly deal with their emotions. And I'm just wondering how this is actually different than how the world we live in today is, right? I mean, I'm just going to make that criticism is I don't think that people actually sit around and properly deal with their emotions a lot, right? And it's one of those things where it, some of us learn the skill and others don't. And, and you're going to encounter people who use weapons to, you know, shoot and control uh, the population of, you know, deer on their land. And then you're going to encounter people who use weapons to shoot other humans in the head because they feel like it, right? And I, I just think you have to, you know, so that's, that's the, so the more extreme example that I might go to is the out-of-time example, 
in which we have, I don't know, some allocation that we have to, to, uh, to meet, some quota that we have to deal with our emotions a certain amount by in a certain amount of time. And if we, if we fail to meet that quota, our emotion chip just gets switched on until we've met that quota, right? And so we can sort of have to face the fear. And so that's the more like, you know, uh, you can you can swap time with others in order to get like emotions. And now emotions become a currency because now you can trade time with others to not deal with your emotions. And there's there's a lot of cool ways to take this. But, you know, ultimately, I think that in our world, we deal with people who have to do this. There's nurses who deal with, uh, you know, real lives who, who have to separate themselves from the fact that they just saw a really traumatic situation in which somebody died and they have to emotionally disconnect from that. And that's a reality of the situation we live in. So there, you know, we sort of have to like, you know, meter this out carefully and make sure that we're not controlling for the sake of controlling because ultimately uh, these can be important skills of compartmentalization. Thank you, T and Sean. That, that was a, a great exchange. It makes me wonder if when it comes to emotions, if resistance is futile, <laughs> bringing it back. Um, it, it does lead me to uh, my other question. I, I want to talk about warped travel um maybe maybe we can do that sort of at the at the closer to the end of the the uh, the show today but um i was struck by cochran's resistance to the adoration from the uh enterprise crew and well i can't imagine how amazing it was for them i can also imagine how overwhelming and weird that must have been for cochran and I'm reminded of celebrities who who reluctantly relent to fame, and in many of those cases, uh, resistance is uh, more futile than it is for the Federation against the Borg. And so I, I wonder, I mean, maybe this is um, not something you've thought about, and we can just spend a few minutes here before we move on to the last episode, but is there a time when you felt that others have given you or someone you know praise that? Well, it may have been deserved. It made you or them feel uncomfortable. I'm just wondering, has, has anybody felt like Cochrane uh, did in this movie? And because uh, he really, he didn't even want to do the, the action. He, he was trying to avoid uh, setting off the rocket or launching the rocket. And um, because, the, you know, he lost his mind when Jordy said that they had a statue to him. And I, I wonder if that hit anybody. Uh, T, how about you first? And then we'll go to the rest of the guests. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly been a time in the past when that has occurred. And what I learned was that was how unhealthy that behavior was. And I recognize, you know, the need for humility. I, I accept that. But I also recognize in myself the need to accept, you know, the the, the accomplishments that I make for myself. Um, and so, you know, when, when, I, when I when I go to write my book, I want to get it out there. I don't want to be, you know, a nobody who gets forgotten about. I want to be a somebody who gets read. And I think that Zephyrin really got it wrong in this, in this regard, right? He really was a hero. He really was somebody who inspired a future generation 
to achieve greatness well beyond what his generation had ever imagined. And he was worthy of that recognition. He was worthy of the title of the father of Warp Drive. And he needed, I think he needed to own that. I think he needed to say, thank you. I'm humbled. And, and that is, that is, that is, you know, absolutely, you know, uh, amazing what, what has transpired, what has progressed. But, you know, but that was, my, hopefully, that was his hope all along. That was his vision to begin with. And I think that he should own that. I think that he should own that he wanted to take humans into the stars and beyond. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, uh, my thought about him was, you know, there was the question of how do we accept that kind of praise and then not let it go to our heads, not have become this big ego. And I think some of that comes from being able to accept your contribution, right? He would have been able to do that, but he was really um, uncomfortable with their attention. And yet by switching it from him, even his view of it, by switching it from him, and if he had looked at them and how happy they were and how far they went um, and could have been happy for them to be happy, it it then can make you feel a little less um, uncomfortable, I think, with the attention because you can be happy for other people and, and take the focus off you. Does anybody else want to comment on this? We've got Sean, Ryan, The Heretic, and Steve. Oh, okay. Uh, well, that's great. Uh, we're making good time here. T, if you can give us a, a, a summary of the next episode that we looked at, which was assimilation, that would be great because this will lead us into a little bit more about, I think, the Borg, and uh, we can then uh, put it all together with the Borg Queen. Yeah, assimilation, Picard. Season 2, Episode 3, first aired on the 17th of March, 2022, this year. Uh, in this episode, Picard and the crew traveled back to 2024 Los Angeles, which is where I am, in the search of the Watcher, who can help them identify the point at which time diverged. Seven, Rafi, and Rios venture out into an unfamiliar world, with 400 that's 400 years in the past with Picard and Gerardi attempting to gather information from an unlikely and dangerous ally. I chose this episode because it gave us a great view of the evolution of the Borg Queen and her eventual fate. Of course, for those of us who have finished the season, we know just how critical that fate is. But that's a topic for another episode. I actually would like to comment on uh, Victoria brought up uh, the warp drive uh, a few minutes ago. Sure. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Um, let, let's just 
move on with this. We will get back to the warp drive. Um, I just, because T has given the uh, intro to it, I just want to go into this a little bit. And then we usually do a little bit of a review of everything. And if we want to go back to anything, we can. So uh, the heretic, if you just want to hang on for a second, that would be great. Um, Thank you for that uh, summary, uh, T. Uh, I really loved this episode um, and the Gerardi's scene with the Borg queen was awesome. And one of the things that, that um, made me, I guess, snicker a little bit was the queen's indignation when she realized that Gerardi had stolen information from her um, that, that we seen could have been part of our loyalty and betrayal show as well. Uh, so my question to you and and the rest of the crew here is, if you had to be assimilated, uh, but it could be with anyone, living or dead, who would you want to be joined together with in body and mind? Stephen Hawking. It's an, it's an easy answer, right? Uh, Stephen Hawking was one of the most incredible minds of our times in terms of physics. And while his disability was significant his mind was incredible and to be able to share his perspective and thoughts with regards to um, how he sees our universe i think would be an opportunity that i i don't think i could pass up i think that his contribution to um you know our, our physics has been so profound um, and his understanding and my my sort of, you know, joining my, my body with his mind, if you will, right, um, would be uh, just just the best, you know, the best gift for him. It would be a step up, at least, from what he had with regards to his body. And it would definitely be a step up with regards for me and with regards to my mind. Wow, great. Um, yeah, I, I struggled with this question. And so I don't, I don't know if anybody else has thought about this before, um, and wants to answer. I'll, I'll ask, uh, we'll go with the heretic. Um, heretic, have you ever thought about this? If you had to assimilate, uh, and it could be with anybody living or dead, who would you want to be joined together with in body and mind? I'm gonna pass on that. I have, I have no clue. Go back to the warp drive. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I I do want to talk about the warp drive. Do, do not get me wrong, because I've got a question about that. I just wanted to make sure that we we got through um, all of the 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 Borg issues uh, first. Um, so let's go to um, well, Joanna. You've come back on stage. I don't know whether you've been. Um, uh, in and out of the room, but we've just gone through a scene where uh, Gerardi is joined together with the Borg Queen, and I've asked the stage if you could be assimilated, or you had to be assimilated, uh, but it could be with anyone, living or dead, who would you want to be joined together with in body and mind? Have you ever thought about that? Okay, Joanna is probably unable to unmike. So I'll put it to the rest of the uh, the crew here. Sean, Ryan, Steve, anybody want to unmike? Oh, Ryan, great. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd want to make a small collective uh, with uh, Carl Sagan and, uh, and Van Gogh. 
um and and uh gosh who else madonna i think that would that would be a fun little collective uh because you get the the uh, expressive uh exploration of sexuality that madonna had in the late 80s early 90s you have the the dream that carl sagan put forth in cosmos and you have just the sheer beauty and madness with van gogh like to see with his eyes and to think with sagan's mind and to you know be fearless and explore with madonna's you know id and ego that that would be a lot of fun well aren't <laughs> isn't that you creating a very artistic and intellectual borg really awesome at parties but terrible the next day when we're crying all day <laughs> right but i mean you, that's you, why you may as well just assimilate sting while you're at it right to get sort of like the next day after crying <laughs> you know I, I just really appreciate that he's making music i don't listen to it but i appreciate that he makes it Oh, Ryan. Uh, Steve, you had unmiked. I didn't hear what you had to say. Uh, so I don't know if I got in that, that jab. I was saying that resistance is futile for uh, Ryan there. Oh, you're in, um, you're in the... Uh, Steve, you're... Sorry, the sorry, Steve? Um, Steve, sorry. Son of a... Okay, <laughs> sorry, you're in the Matrix. Uh, so I'll, I'll just give you a break there, figure that out. Uh, Sean, have you ever thought about this? If you had to be assimilated and it could be with anybody, who would it be? So you mean I would take over their body or I would become that person? I guess that's Well, it's a saying. blend, like the Borg. It was it was uh, Dr. Gerardi. She blended with the Borg queen, and so they right. both could read each other's minds. So in some way, we talk about the Borg and they lose themselves, but they don't ever really lose themselves because themselves if I can use it that way, become part of the Borg. It just becomes a, a, a smaller percentage of what they end up having. Okay, I, I have to pick several people, and I'm sure if I sat here long enough, I could come up with a huge list of maybe a thousand people throughout history. But um, I would go Stephen Hawking, Carl Sagan, uh, Martin Luther King, uh, Gandhi, I would also go, I'm not a mythicist, so I actually do believe that Jesus probably did exist. So I would go with Jesus and Muhammad, and um, I would go with Winston Churchill. Um, so, I, might, so, I might even go with uh, Hitler. To assimilate with these. The, the way he did. So you would want to assimilate um, with these people? Yeah, I want to know what they were thinking and how they came to their conclusions and what they were experiencing and why they said the words they did and what they really believed deep down inside and why, you know, what fears and and questions they had and what wonders of science and reality and, and all kinds of things. I would just love to know what was I'd love to be inside of them um, and, and know what was going on. Um, and like I said, maybe even Hitler, not, he's certainly not one of my favorites, but just like, how could you do these things, you know, and, and maybe it would be so crazy. It would be like weird. And it's like, wow, what's a dark place. Let's, let's jump to the next person, please. You know, but, um, yeah, just to know what these people were really thinking and why they said they, what they did 
were some of them you know liars were some of them being super truthful did some of them have emotional problems and did some of them have uh intellect that was just beyond comprehension i mean there's so many people i can't narrow it down it's like asking me what's my favorite movie that would be really wow. difficult wow okay great great uh steve you unmiked uh have you fixed the audio yeah um, oh great i should be better now okay um so i uh I want to say it's um, it's funny that it's a question I've never thought about before. Um, <clears throat> I've had some difficulty with uh, finding people that I genuinely can like look up to with respect, and I don't honestly think it's a matter of like narcissism. Not that I don't respect anyone else, just that uh, you know when I think of like well, with with their real um, overall like like intellectual ability really be something that that i i would just ultimately bow down to i guess is what i mean um the one that comes to mind funny enough is isaac asimov who is both a science fiction writer and um and a contributor to science and science education and so i feel like i though i didn't get much of in terms of his textbooks i got like one that i got to read um I think a lot of the the concepts that he comes he goes across and um, and the the kind of thinking that he had and 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 the, the gumption the motivation to like just keep writing and writing and writing um, and and learning I think that would that would be great to integrate with myself um, uh, others that people have mentioned here I think would be great too is like yeah definitely Carl Sagan. Um, I think I might even get a collection of, of, of different kinds of scientists and engineers to go with, to, to lead with. Um, so like maybe Richard Dawkins and uh, maybe try to handpick from some people that are doing some amazing studies right now, if anything. Wow. You know, I really appreciate everybody's contribution here. And uh, obviously there's um, some similarities in, in the people that, uh, or to whom we look up to. Um, I just, I keep coming back to my grandma. <laughs> I'm going to have to think about that. Um, there's a, there's an uncomfortableness that comes with that. Cause I don't know that I want to know what she thought of me at times. Um, but she had a long life and lots of kids and lots of losses and a tremendous amount of beauty in her life. And she's a humble, um, lower income woman and um and yet she was just class all the way class all the way and um i'm fascinated by people like that so she was the first person to come to my mind but of course you guys wouldn't know her or know why um but yeah i think i think the reasons that you guys have given for some of these famous scientists would be uh similar to the reasons that I would pick my, my grandma. So, uh, before I get too teary about that, <laughs> um, uh, thank you for your contributions, everybody. Uh, this is, this has been great. Um, so I, I had a question, another question about assimilation. Um, and it was about the scene where they talked about money. So I do want to ask that a little bit later. Um, but going back to the warp, uh, drive, um, in first contact, 
Cochrane invents warp travel, enabling humanity to travel freely among the stars. And my question was, and I'm going to go to Heretic first, um, and so he can either answer this question or um, uh, or say what he wanted to say, and then we'll go to T, if you don't mind, T. Um, but if warp travel were available today, would you leave the Earth and where would you go? So the Heretic, you can either answer that question or, or contribute what you were going to contribute earlier, if you don't mind. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to go see Jupiter and saturn to be honest yeah i'd go uh i'm not necessarily convinced that within our time we'll see something like that but uh yeah i'd be 100 percent down and on the thing i wanted to say it was absolutely derailing and ridiculous anyway so i i wasn't in any rush to say it but i was just going to say that on one of my original accounts on facebook just before I got married, like as I was planning on getting married, I changed my name to Warp Drive on Facebook, and everybody was like, "What the hell?" And then when I when I proposed to my wife, and then like made it Facebook official, it said Warp Warp Drive got engaged. It's awesome. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's that's great forward thinking. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, well, thank you for that. that. I mean, I, I think that's just like, uh, that's first of all, that's classic heretic. And secondly, I mean, only only he could pull that off. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that That's great. Thank you for that. Um, so T, yeah, getting back to first contact, if, if warp travel were available today, would you leave the earth and where would you go? Yep. I'm out of here. I'll see you later. Right. I'd be like, uh, I don't know, headed to Beetlejuice or maybe the, the closest star just to, just to, you know, take a, take a couple spins around it. Right. You know, and, uh, after that head out on of the, uh, you know, upward out of the uh, spiral galaxy. Just uh, see what space is like, you know? I think that there's a, there's a lot to be said for just getting away from it all. And, you know, taking that time and, and going out to space. And then then when I, when I feel like I've gotten enough alone time, it's time to head back to the Earth, right? It's time to engage that, you know, Warp, warp Factor 7 and cruise on back, right? You know, we've been taking the two and three on out, and I think I'd hate I'd take the seven on back. You know, right? Yeah. Hmm. It. Yeah. It's. It, uh, yeah. You guys make me think of of different things, uh, different answers to to my own questions. Uh, Ryan, uh, if warp travel were available to you today, would you leave the Earth, and where would you go? Yes, I, I would definitely leave the Earth, and uh, I would play Rod Stewart for a few for a few notes, because uh, I, I too have faith of the heart, and uh, I would go to Alpha Centauri. I think I think I would go to or the closest star system uh, that we could visit and just film, just you know, get a spacesuit on, go on the surface and film film things that no human had ever seen before that'd be cool and because it's warp you know you can come back to the earth without a thousand years going by 
So that that would make it like, yeah, hey, dad's going off for a few months into the into the black to see what's out there, and we'll come back with lots of footage to show. Great, I, I, yeah, I like that you want to bring it back to everybody else. Um, yeah, that's that's really good, uh, Sean. I know that you would say yes to this. Oh, Where would you go? <laughs> well, the first place I would do, go just to make sure I'm not, you know, have a sick stomach or something would be a short flight over to Proxima Centauri B to see if possibly there is life on that planet. And then after that, um, I would definitely return to Earth. On the way back, I'd go past Saturn's rings, which I fi find really beautiful, always have since I was a little kid. Actually, when I was a little kid, I wanted to be the first astronaut on Saturn. Unfortunately, I didn't quite make that, but oh well. Um, and after Proxima Centauri B, um, oh, I can think of so many amazing places to go. I definitely go to another galaxy just to see uh, how those systems are. And I'd, I'd be in search of, um, of intelligent life wherever I go. That would be the main purpose is to not only view the scenery, but to try to meet some friends and hopefully not some enemies. Thank you. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, and and I, I want to know um, from Joanna, too, if, if she would um, take the opportunity to travel by warp and where she would go. And, and I want to also put to the room that I wonder, do you guys all travel, does everybody uh, travel now? Because when, when Sean said, I would look for intelligent life, sometimes I feel like I'm doing that here on Earth. <laughs> and, um, and, and when I travel uh, for vacation or business, um, I do feel like I'm going to uh, not a different planet necessarily, but I feel that exploration. So I wonder it, how your your want for exploring the universe, uh, whether it does and how it does translate to exploring our own planet. Uh, so just think about the, that for a little bit. Uh, Joanna, do you want to contribute? If, if warp travel were available today, would you leave the Earth and where would you go? Oh, thank you. I... <laughs> I spent the last three years studying astrotheology under Santos Bonacci. So I really considered space in a different way than ever, almost turning to the flat earther side. So I would just be more in awe now where I am now on my journey to see space because I have contemplated maybe there is no space as is the flat earth theory. It's just a firmament. <laughs> So I would love to fly with you guys through space and see nebulas and everything this universe that is ours has to offer. Thank you. Thanks, Joanna. Sean, you and Mike, did you have a yeah, question? In some of my spare time now, I like to watch rocket launches. And so the other night I watched, and, and this is another... Uh, another franchise, I watched uh, the Firefly Aerospace try to launch the second time um, their Alpha rocket, which has Reaver engines and had a small satellite on board called Serenity. Um, so if you sci-fi fans know what I'm talking about. 
but um, the the second flight, um, the the, the uh, computer shut down right when the engines ignited. But the next day it was successful, and they had a pretty good camera and a pretty good downlink for a while, and you could definitely see the curvature of the Earth, even though they had a huge fisheye lens on the camera. But you could definitely see it, and they were only up about oh I don't know 186 miles or so. So um, it's not flat. I know it's not flat. Thank you for that confirmation, Sean. Uh, Steve, I saw you on mic. Did you want to say something? Yeah. So I, I want to lead with I'm I'm really not the traveling type. Like I like the thought of traveling. I like trying new things and checking out new cultures and people. But the actual moving my location and flying, not that comfortable about that. Um, though I know a lot of times it's necessary. It's kind of like agoraphobia in a sense on my part. So I try to make myself do it when it's available. Um, that being said, I would imagine if it, it, it a lot depends on how I acquire such a, an ability, such a technology. Um, I I think one of the first things I would do is try to connect with NASA and give them a live feed to the best of my ability of me um, uh, uh, d doing a quick probe of uh, Europa to find out is there life in the seas of Europa and then leave whatever tidbits like NASA uh, is like hey yeah just could you just drop off this probe or leave this antenna for us and we'll be able to keep studying I'm like sure thing guys here you go do that favor and I take a few other requ uh, requests along our system maybe uh, bring them back some samples of uh, Saturn's rings to study and what have you. And then I'd go on a nice uh, trip around our galaxy, the Milky Way, to see if a cursory view of it would show me that there is other intelligent life out there and figure out what capabilities it had. Thank you for your contribution. I appreciate that. So, uh, T, what's going on for us in the next couple of weeks? So much fun stuff, um, because after doing uh, Resistance is Futile with Q-Who, we are doing on the 9th of October, Who are Q? Part 1. Uh, starting with Encounter at Farpoint, um, of course the original TNG episode in which we are introduced to Q, followed by Hide in Q in which Riker is given Q powers, and True Q in which a Starfleet cadet uh, realizes that she has Q powers, that she is, in fact, Q. After that, on the 16th, we're doing primitive belief systems, starting with Firstborn about the Klingons and their primitive belief systems. Then, who watches the Watchers? Um, and that one is about uh, when the Enterprise must undo uh, damage that they did uh, by observing a primitive culture, followed by Homeward, in which Worf has to play a role in helping uh, a primitive culture make it off of the holodeck, which is failing, in order to save them from their failing homeworld. On the 23rd of October, we have the Rules of Acquisition, uh, which is, of course, about the Ferengi. Starting with the Rules of Acquisition, um, that is from DS9, uh, the Marquis, also from DS9, and Acquisition. And that one is from Enterprise. Uh, followed by, on the 30th, the day before Halloween, we have What's So Funny, starting with 
uh, Star Trek for the Voyage Home, followed by the outrageous Akona, which is one of my uh, favorite uh, funny, funny TNG episodes, in which they have the holodeck comedian, and of course, everybody's favorite, the Trouble with Tribbles. Of course, we do have all the way through, um, what's it called, uh, December scheduled, and I do hope that you will join us in some of our watch parties, which should lead us back, back to our next topic, I hope. Exactly, exactly. Well, I, I wanted to say I can't wait to watch the the episode of uh, Who Watches the Watchers. Um, so uh, Steve has been working on setting up a Discord server where, uh, where he's going to host some watch parties. Uh, and I think they're going to include um, Star Trek Sundays. Uh, so Steve, do you want to tell us a little bit about what you have planned for the watch parties and um, and how we can support you on that? Because once that's all set up, I'm, I'll put a little bit of, or I'll, I'll find a page for it on the Star Trek Sundays website and, and then we can start putting it on social media as well. So I, I understand you had a first test run yesterday. Can you tell us about that? We have uh, we were we were able to to get the watch party to work on Discord just fine. So what will happen is in the future um, Saturdays before Star Trek Sundays, I'm going to um, try to put out the word that I'll have a clubhouse room, and the clubhouse room is for us having conversations and talking in between um, the the uh, the the shows that we're watching or movies we're watching, and the um, the main show or movie will be watched on. Um, the discord so you'll want two devices to do this you know so if you're using your mobile device that's probably better for clubhouse to just listen in when we're talking um, but then for the conversation um, or for the for the uh, watch party sharing on discord you'll want to sign up for donald c's uh, server and uh, just be ready and waiting for some announcements to come through and explain it um, it is a bit difficult to explain the instructions because people just kind of in, uh, jump into the the room uh, the, the clubhouse room and they see a dead silence and don't know what's happening. But uh, if you just check for what I'll, what I'll be putting in the chat at least once uh, when we start and the instructions through the announcements on the Discord, then you'll, you'll be able to catch on what's happening and be able to slip right in and watch with us and then have some very short uh, discussions in between um, our reactions immediately after them, uh, but always trying to save some of the best gems for Star Trek Sundays. That's awesome. Thanks so much for this, Steve. Um, I'm really looking forward to being able to watch some of this stuff with other people uh, I, because it, it uh, their reactions are often, um, you know, they amplify how much we enjoy these things. So I'm really looking forward to that. Thank you all once again for going on this journey with me and T and, um, and we'll just continue to explore and thank you for being so vulnerable. I really appreciate the shares that everybody gives. And um, I always sit with it afterwards. And um, while I've been going through the audio to put them up on uh, YouTube, as well as uh, when I listen to them to write uh, the, the blog, the captain's log, I, because I'm not hosting, I'm just listening to it. I can contemplate that stuff a little bit more and sometimes it hits even deeper uh, even the second time and I can I can hear nuances and have so many questions and it just it means a lot to me and I I hope that you guys are getting a lot from it as well and uh, we'll just continue to 
keep moving forward and, and growing together. So thank you very much. And uh, T, did you have anything to say before we close? Uh, resistance is futile. You'll be assimilated. <laughs> Into Star Trek Sundays. Yes, our collective is growing. That's that's true. So uh, thank you, everybody, for coming to Star Trek Sunday's Resistance is Futile, Part 1, Episode 9. And uh, I hope to see you next Sunday at 10 a.m. and uh, PST uh, on Clubhouse. So take it easy and have a great day. Thank, thank you, you, everyone. You guys are amazing. We love you so much. Thank you. And do hope to see you in the hallways. <laughs>